0: Welcome to the Nourished Mama podcast. I am your host, Madison Anderson, a women's health coach, mom, and wife. This podcast is dedicated to educating and supporting you to live in your fullest potential as a woman and a mother. We will be providing you with endless resources and guest speakers so you can go from feeling lost and overwhelmed to feeling confident in your motherhood journey. It's time to feel connected, energized, clear, and confident in your journey as a mom or mom-to-be. I couldn't be more excited to have you here. Now let's uncover your confidence and step into your power so you can live your best life. Okay, so Jen, why don't you introduce yourself and tell them who you are and what you do?
1: Yeah, so my name is Jen Messina. I'm a registered dietitian and mom of two. I have a three-year-old and a five-year-old and I work in private practice in North Vancouver. So I work mostly with moms and families and picky kids and we work a lot on breaking up with dieting. So if we're not dieting, what's what are we going to do, right? So what is a way that we can eat and fuel our bodies and feel good in our bodies and teach our kids to have a healthy relationship with food and their bodies as well? Um, So I work a lot with women um, who are interested in kind of changing the narrative. Um, And most of the women that I work with have dieted for majority of their life. So they've Mm -hmm. done every kind of diet under the sun. And they're like, you know what, like, this can't be the way that I want to live the rest of my life. Um, yeah. so yeah, so I work, I do mostly one-to-one counseling. Um, I have a course, which we'll talk a little, a little bit more about. Um, and I do a lot of meal planning as well. So helping to streamline like the meal planning process so that cooking isn't so overwhelming and daunting. Cause I think when that happens, we end up like reaching for like the frozen stuff or like the fast food type of stuff, because we're just like out of ideas, so that's that's a little bit about what I do, and um, I work also with uh, Stong's Market, so I do a lot of like shopping tours, like virtual shopping tours. Okay. And I have, yeah, so I help kind of navigate the grocery store because I think it's sometimes can be really overwhelming. Yes. Um, do a lot of videos on on their website as well.
0: Yeah, I think that's where people get hung up is cooking food because they think that healthy has to look a certain way, yeah. and. Then- do you shop at the grocery store? Cause everyone thinks, you know, you only shop in the surrounding nah. and everything else in the middle is bad. <laughs> know, so right? it's great that you're doing that. I want to, you've been a dietitian for 14 years, right? Yeah. So were you, when you started out, were you always like into not dieting and like that kind of thing? Changing um, that oh, narrative?
1: That is, that is like very much, um, the last few years. So, okay. Um, dietitians are typically schooled in a very weight centric perspective. We're trained to like, look at weight as a number that we can manipulate and change. Um, and that health is dependent on weight. So it is, it's actually very weight bias. Um, Mm -hmm. and, um, it's very much centered in diet culture. So, um, many dietitians, like in my year, like I graduated in what, 2007, Um, This is still the narrative being trained. And even like I've talked to dietitians, like even in the last few years, um, and there's not the momentum hasn't really swung in the direction of like the anti diet movement and health at every size just yet. Um, We're getting there, there's more and more research, the more evidence and research we build upon, the more likely it is to kind of change that dialogue. However, I have been seeing some really promising stuff in like, in kind of the lay media, like I saw cosmopolitan uk talking about different body sizes and even recently there was i think it was like shape or one of those mm-hmm. had one of the dietitians that i work with um, you know featured in um, in some of the articles talking about intuitive eating and talking about um, you know getting away from like the dieting mentality so i think that the narrative is changing i think as we get like more and more information um, many of us are very excited to see this shift in kind of the dialogue
0: Yes. Yes, Yes, absolutely. absolutely. And I feel like dietitians are, um, educated around like hospital-based, you Mm -hmm. know, type eating. Um, and so when you, did you find that it was much different? Cause this is just what I've heard from my dietitian friends, but like the way that nutrition coaches are trained is like macros, that kind of thing, but like dietitians, not so much
1: macros. We're we're very much like disease centered. So like, yeah, we do what's called medical nutrition therapy. So if you have kidney disease, like what is the diet for that? If you have yeah. heart disease, what's the diet? So what are the, what can we manipulate in terms of like, you know, triglycerides? Like how can we decrease certain foods to like decrease your triglycerides? And how can we, you know, so very much like we felt medical nutrition therapy. And what I work a lot with is actually healthy people. So people that are, right. they may be looking to like prevent disease. Um, they may have allergies or intolerances or gut issues or, Um, they may want to follow a certain diet for like you know ethical reasons or whatnot um so a lot of the people that i work with aren't sick which actually is really nice because they're motivated um you know they're very intrinsically motivated they're not like motivated because they are ill they're motivated because they're like wanting to prevent kind of chronic conditions as best as possible as we know like a lot of things are genetic so i mean we can do our best diet wise um but yeah the medical model is still very entrenched in diet culture, I would say, and dietitians as well. Um, but I think there is like the new dietitian students, like I'm, I was just um, doing an application for a student um, applying to dietetics, and she is learning from people like me, learning this new way, right? So learning okay. more of the intuitive eating um, and health at every size model, um, which basically in kind of a nutshell saying that like, your weight does not determine your health. So like, you yeah, can be at like, I'm not calculating people's BMIs in my office. People are often like, where is the scale? And I'm like, I don't weigh you. Like, yeah. I mean, it's just a metric. And when I look at like health, there's so many other things that I look at. Like, how's your energy? How's your stamina? Like, can you play with your kids and run around? Like, or are you winded after five minutes, right? So that yeah. kind of, those are all like a little bit more, I find like, they're not they're not metric, but they're more mm-hmm. like personal aspects of people when they come to me and have goals around their health.
0: Yeah, absolutely. You're looking at them as a whole and not just like a number because no. that number does not mean anything I
1: know. <laughs> at all.
0: Um, so when you work, you work mostly with women, right? Yeah. Just with women. Um, do you find that when you work with them, they're trying to implement what they learn, like with their kids, Definitely. that kind of what they, they want the most.
1: So women I find are really the bridge between like their parents Mm-hmm. And their kids, so like they're helping. So when I work with a woman, she's supporting her parents who have probably a different belief in terms of eating. Yeah, maybe more like they're like I have like grandmas who are on Weight Watchers, for example. Like so, you know, the the women that I work with are educating both their parents and their children and their spouses. To be honest, like they're you know supporting kind of multi generational um, nutrition. Um, and so yeah, they're definitely like what they're implementing they're also helping to show their kids and act as like a positive role model for healthy eating for their kids.
0: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. That's, I mean, we, I think that we take on these habits that we've learned from our, from our family, from our mom and dad. And then we start implementing that into our kids. But then, you know, it when you follow you on Instagram, you're like, oh my gosh, I do that maybe I shouldn't do that anymore. So <laughs> do you find that they get like an aha moment where it's like, oh shoot, like that's what I am doing. And then, and then they're able to change it a little bit better. Definitely. And
1: I think yeah. one of the biggest worries my parents have is they're like, I've messed up. I've like, been doing it all wrong. And like, my kids are going to be messed up. And I think we need to realize that like children are resilient and we can also talk to them and be like, you know what? I've been doing things this way, but mom's learned a new way to do things. And I'm going to try it a different way. And so I think kids are really like, we we don't want to like ever say that we're wrong for some reason. Like we're only human too. But I think showing our kids, like sometimes we, we do as best as we can until we know better. And then when we know yeah. better, we do better. Right. That's my yeah. um, so I think we're all doing the best, like for our kids, especially like we want our kids to be healthy and we want them to eat a variety of foods and we don't want them to like, you know, be missing nutrients. Um, so I think sometimes we, you know, make certain changes or do things a certain way, because that's all we kind of have known. But then if there's another way, like I got an email yesterday from somebody and she's like, dinner was so much better. Like, thank you. Like we'd only met that day. Right. But just changing a couple things around. Yeah. Meals shouldn't be a battleground. They shouldn't be a place where we like hate to go. Our kids hate to be there because later down the line, when big things come up, like say your kid's being bullied or say they're having problems in school or you know, any kinds of problems that they're like, that's going on for them. We want the table to be like a safe space that they can come to and talk with us about those things and not have it be like a negative environment that they don't want to
0: do. Yeah, absolutely. I never thought of it that way, but you're totally right. Do you, so how do you, how do you get your kids to like, how do you show them the importance of, you know, this food is really good for you without saying like that food is bad for you?
1: Mhm. You know- yeah. So I mean a lot of us talk in like junk food or good food or mm-hmm. healthy food and bad food. So really like what I train and like impress upon all my clients and my own kids is that all food fits. So food doesn't have like a morality to it. Some foods I talk about more as like growing foods and some foods are fun foods. So some foods give us more pleasure and some foods are foods that we need in order to grow. So sometimes my son will say, like, he'll wake up, eyes open. I want chocolate for breakfast, right? Like he's just testing. He's a toddler. Yeah. So I'll say, oh, okay, that, that's, you know, that's really interesting. But, you know, that's not on the menu today. And so just kind of using the dialogue. And if he says why, and I'll say things like, well, that's a fun food. And, you know, maybe we'll have that later today. Um, and so, you know, we need energy in order to go to school and to run around and play with our friends. So I definitely try and talk about it more in in that like growing and fun food. Um, and if they're wondering, you know, like why can't I have whatever for it? like I have other kids and they'll say like they're asking for like candy nonstop. So mm-hmm. the parents don't have a good reason. They don't want to be like oh that's gonna like rot your teeth or they don't want to have certain negative connotation. But I think as parents like we get to decide we call the division of responsibility. So we decide the what. The when and the where of feeding. And children get to decide of the foods we provide, how much of those foods are they going to eat and if they're even going to eat anything at all. So um, we may provide a dessert at a mealtime and they get to decide if they want to eat it or not. But they so what's what happens in modern society is children decide the what, when, and where. So they're asking, Mm -hmm. I want hot dogs and pizza pops. And so they're deciding the what they're deciding the where I want to eat it in front of the TV and they're deciding when like they're badgering us for snacks like nonstop. So the roles are reversed. And then we're doing the kids job. We're saying two more bites, five more bites. So in reality, we're actually it's actually the opposite. So we get to decide as parents. So if my child will ask me, like, well, I want a cookie on my dinner tray, then I'll say, well, that's not on the menu because that's my job. I get to decide what's being served. And then I'm, what we do is we try to be considerate without catering. So we, we're not, you know, I'm not giving them like a super complex, like pad thai curry, which is like mixed consistency. And then I'm like, sorry, kid, you don't like it like too bad. So what I would always recommend is to serving some safe food. So usually we start with one to two foods. We know they're going to eat. So it could be blueberries and cucumber or something, or it could be, you know, uh, a side of rice with butter melted on it. Like last night, my kid, I served them like a lemon leek meatball, which is like basically an onion and meat meatball with potato and cauliflower bread and and fruit. Um, so I know my son like is not a big meat eater, so that's going to be a no, but at least he had the bread and he had the berries and that's what he ate. And right. so my job is to provide the food and their job is to decide.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's so good. Cause I have, well, even just moms, um, they're always like, they they don't want to change the way that they well maybe they want to change the way that they eat but they don't want to change the way that their kids eat too so then they're like well I don't want to make separate meals and I don't want to do all that kind of stuff um cuz the transition I think is hard on kids maybe or they think it's going to be hard have you found that that like the transition from the mom becoming more healthy and wanting to serve more healthy foods and then trying to get your kids involved with that. Do you think that that's kind of a hard transition for them, or do they adapt pretty easily?
1: I mean, I find that like the kids want to eat what you're eating. Okay. So we also have to be considering the fact, like, when did you like eating kale? Like, were you <laughs> six or were you twenty-six? You know what that's I mean? That's a good point. Right. So, like, I think yeah. we have expectations on our kids, like. Children aren't motivated by like health or like, I need to get my fiber in They're They're not motivated by those things. They're like, does it taste good? Does it smell good? Does it look good? Like appearance matters. So like, if it's a big slop on the plate, like, no, they're not going to go for it. Mixed consistencies are very difficult for any child. So, you know, if it's a stew or a chili, like they don't know what's in there. Like, think about if you were going to a restaurant and someone was just like, I'm going to give you something. And you're like, what is it? And they're like, well, you'll like it. Just try a bite. And you're like, but actually, what is it? So like, and like, you have all these like thoughts about, you know, what could it be? Is it gonna be an animal? Is it gonna be a vegetable? So I think children, like we we kind of just make these expectations of our kids to like, just try one bite, it's not that big of a deal. But actually to them, it's like asking them to go like skydiving or something like that. It's like a completely irrational fear that they have because they have zero clue as to if, what they're gonna react to that food. So I think yeah. if mom is looking to get healthier, um, Then definitely continue to serve, like say you're making, for example, a kale salad. So you're making kale, say you're having like a kale Caesar salad, right? So you've got salad, you've got croutons, you've got some maybe some chickpeas or some chicken. Think about like, what can I, what would my child of this actually like to eat? So probably the croutons, maybe the cookies, maybe the chicken with ketchup. So serving sauces and dips make things easier. Serving one safe food. So you might want to like add a safe food to that, like a slice of bread, or maybe their safe food is a bit of rice. So, I mean, we can, I don't think we need to make separate meals for them, but I think we need to also... Be, be offering something that we know that they will feel comfortable to come into the table to eat because right if they come to the table and there's nothing that they want to eat at that meal it's upsetting for them right and so then then that place is a negative place and then we're forcing them you've got to eat a bite like how do you know you don't like it um so all of those kind of pressure techniques backfire or like the bribery like if you eat your vegetable then you get a cookie mm-hmm. we're saying like, the vegetable is so bad that we need to bribe them in order to eat to get a cookie right So, so we're setting that negative connotation up, or if we say things like, well, like this is healthy, like, what does that mean to a kid? Right. They, they don't care what healthy is. They just want something that tastes good. Um, so I think offering them, you know, a couple things that, you know, that they, they will eat and not to say you have to create separate meals for them. Generally a safe food is usually like a fruit and a bread or like a fruit, a grain or a starch, um, and then serve that family style. So serve everything down the middle and let them decide how much, if anything they want, maybe they just eat the bread for dinner. And so then I have a lot of fears. Well, how is he getting his protein in the day? How is he going to get his iron in the day? So those yeah. are their kind of concerns. Um, but what, what we see is that children don't like, except for an extreme cases, children actually will round out their nutritional needs in a two week period. So most kids will eat like maybe the next day they'll eat like six hot dogs or something. Like I see these meal, like Parents will write down what their kids are eating, and I do like nutrient analysis on them. And it's wild. Like, some days will be like more than an adult person. And then other days will be like, how are you even surviving off like a couple teaspoons of food? Yeah. They, they even out in the wash, right? I mean, there's a couple exceptions with my extreme picky eaters, or if they have like sensory processing disorders, or if they're vegan or have certain dietary restrictions. Mm-hmm. Uh, but for the most part, like, kids are meeting their nutritional needs on the, on the whole, as long as we don't interfere with like trying to force them.
0: Right. So you're looking at their average intake over like the two weeks. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Cause I think that's, it is uh, a concern of most parents that their kids aren't eating enough. Yeah. They're not
1: eating enough. So if you are concerned about that, one of the first things to check is the growth curve. So get your kids height and weight and look at their, um, Get, look, look online. There's WHO has the growth curves and plot your kids. So um, the growth curve goes from zero to 100. So they take 100 kids and you'll find where your child falls on the plot. So what we're looking for is consistency. Um, you know, if your child is at the 25th percentile and then goes to the 50th and the 75th and the 100th, like jumping curves is concerning but if they're consistently following say 25th or 20th, 30th, like they're kind of consistent, then that's what we want to see in order for growth. Um, I had a family yesterday, they were like petrified, their son wasn't eating enough, but when we plotted the child, it's a 75% off her weight, right? Oh. They're just looking at the child and thinking, well, my other child is so much bigger. Yes. Right. So like, he's so small, but actually, and so his, and also people have commented and things like that. So it's like some trauma, um, mm-hmm. uh, but I think plotting your child on the curve and not worrying, like some kids are the hundredth. So that's normal. So some parents will say, well, I don't want him to be overweight or I don't want him to be too large, but it's not our like genetics is largely determining the size of children and the size of adults, to be honest, for the most part. Um, it's when we start messing around with like putting kids on diets or like trying to manipulate how they're eating, that that's when we really see children like having negative um, effects like some I've had children who their parents have tried to diet them, and then those kids are the ones hiding candy under their bed and eating in secret. And and these are like eight-year-old kids. Oh man, that's awful. I know. So <laughs> I think as much as you can, like try to like relieve your sense of like worry. Check your kid on the growth curve. Mm-hmm. Like be reassured that like if they're following their curve, that's very normal. BMI is not used in kids, and in adults, it's shaky at best yeah Um, yeah and we could do a whole podcast episode on that but some parents will say well i noticed that his bmi is on the heavier side but bmi is not used in kids so use a growth curve and kind of check them that way and then don't don't worry too much about if they're following their curve if they're jumping curves either up or down then i would definitely reach out to your family doctor or dietitian
0: right yeah yeah i know that even for my son he is small, but I compare him to his sister. <laughs> yeah. And when you go, like when we go to his appointments, he's on his own curve and he's growing and everything's fine, yeah. but comparing it to all the other kids, he's still small. Right. right. He's doing fine on his own. Like, you know, so it is, but it is concerning. Cause even I was like, is he getting enough, especially when he was a baby and he wasn't, you know, getting as big as his sister like why on earth (laughs) what's happening but it was totally fine
1: (laughs) totally So I think like using those resources and then like letting kids grow into the body that they're genetically predetermined to have yeah and and letting them have that and so parents will say to me like on the you know they'll say well I don't want him to be the smallest in the class but like dad is 5'4 yeah and I'll say, okay, like, what was your, what was your kind of stature? Like, oh, I was the smallest in the class. Like, so it's like kids will tend to follow their parents in terms of body shape and size. So if you're, if your family is a larger family, you'll be a generally a larger child. Same with a smaller family, have a smaller child. So, you know, I think we we sometimes have these like wishes and dreams, but in reality, yeah. they tend to follow their genetic body blueprint.
0: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So for those picky eaters, um, do you, do you follow the same kind of uh, like putting in those safe foods to introduce new foods to get them to, you know, start eating more than just chicken nuggets and French fries?
1: Definitely. So one of the first things we work on is like not offering all the whole meal shouldn't be a safe food. So like if they love like chicken nuggets with fries and raspberries, and you're serving that every day, right? So the more that we cater to them, the worse they actually eat. And then you start getting into like, the child saying like you making them what they ask for and them saying, well, I don't want that. And you're like, but you asked Mm -hmm. for it. And so that actually like worsens the picky eating. So what we start by doing is taking away the whole meals that are safe and start just making parts of the meals. And this is another thing that helps incent kids to eat is actually being hungry. So another piece that I often talk about is limiting grazing. So not allowing meals or snacks two hours before the meal. So dinners at six, they come home, they have their afternoon snack. And they're done by four so you're not having them nibbling on things goldfish crackers and i had one little boy and he was he didn't have enough time to eat his lunch at school so he was eating his lunch between three and 5 30 but then dinner was at six and they're like why isn't he eating and so then in this case it was very obvious that like he's full like and so why is he misbehaving why is he jumping around and dancing and doing all this stuff because he's not motivated to eat because he's not hungry So, like, how do we increase that motivation? We need to look at, like, how we can improve. So a lot of kids in schools right now, because of the hand hygiene and stuff like that, they're having more challenges eating in school because I've been hearing that, like, the amount of time is narrowed. So, like,
0: Um. if they have
1: 15 minutes to eat, right, and then it's outside playtime, they have to wash their hands before. But if they're number 20 on the hand washing, they might have seven minutes to eat their lunch. And if they're a slow eater, so then we need to, like, look at how we can... Change that so what can we make that's going to be easier for that child to eat in that seven minutes? So, and if they're a slow eater, maybe and then having them have like things that are unwrapped and opened and pre chopped and everything so that they can just eat quickly and then go because kids don't want to miss out on the playtime either. No. Right?
0: but seven minutes for a small child to eat like that's yeah. not a lot of time.
1: No, it's not. So, and this is what I, this is what I've been hearing. So, if your kid's like a talker or like a slow eater. And you're like, I had one kid and he, he had only a couple teeth cause he had like lost so many of his teeth. And so even having like complex sandwiches and stuff like that, that's like a lot of chewing. Yeah. So we have to be like, well, what can we make for this kid so that he can easily like try and literally Hoover it down. Um, and then working on those strategies is going to support him with not eating before dinner time, which supports him for more of an appetite at dinner. So I think we have to be curious to like, why is our child maybe having challenges around eating during the day um mm-hmm. but that is something that's come up specifically this year because of all the hand hygiene which is amazing but yeah. um it does limit like certain things that we never had to consider before
0: yeah absolutely that would be i wouldn't even have thought of that like oh he only has 7 minutes to eat
1: yeah <laughs> i mean maybe he's fine with 7 minutes but say, say he's a slow eater then yeah you know he gets in a few tablespoons and that's it and then he's starving and maybe badly behaved when the end of
0: the day. Right. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I know I'm guilty of um, letting my kids have too many snacks before supper time. (laughs) Cause I'm like, Oh, you're hungry. Okay, fine. Just have this. And then, yeah. And then you don't, they're not eating very much at supper time. So I definitely need to be more strict when it comes to like the time that they eat for sure.
1: And I mean, it's hard, right? Because we're moms and we're like, they're like, of I'm so hungry. So yeah. what we do, we call it a tide me over. So I give them something. So it might be like a platter of veggies, which I'm going to be serving with dinner anyways. I might put that out. So it's not super good, good mm-hmm. in their opinion, but it's like, if you're hungry, you'll eat that. Yeah. Right. So, or I might give them like, you know, six goldfish or something like that if they're, you know, so whatever it is, it's something really small. And then I'll say, this is your tide me over. This is going to get you to dinner because dinner is at 5.30. Um, but I know you're really, really hungry now. So we're not like not listening to them, but we're also like not giving them like a smoothie pouch and then like yeah. a granola bar. And then they're like, I'm not hungry. Or they're like misbehaving at the dinner table. The other thing is that dinner for most kids is actually the worst meal of the day. So just be aware that like children have been eating all day long. So it's very normal to have like a good breakfast, a medium lunch, a bad dinner. Like, and that's actually pretty standard. So, um, but don't overly stress about that. Um, again, like I usually suggest offering a snack before bed for most kids, unless dinner is super close to bedtime. Um, but usually I would suggest offering a snack before bed. Is that another opportunity to eat? And this is regardless of how much they ate at dinner. Right.
0: You're just, you're offering it. You're giving them an opportunity.
1: Yep. Yeah. yeah. It's another evening chance. And again, the evening snack is not like for the cookies and the ice cream. The evening snack is like the yogurt and the fruit or like cottage cheese and veggies, something like super simple. Um, because what I do find is that if it's too good, like say you're always serving the like cocoa puff cereal at evening snack, they'll hold out and they won't eat their dinner because they know they're getting something delicious. Uh, some so don't make yeah. it too good. <laughs>
0: So what do you, for like kids who hate vegetables, how do you start introducing them? So like, what can we do? You know, I know there's dips and stuff. Kids love dips, but what if they just eat the dip and they don't even eat the vegetable?
1: Yeah. I mean, I think this is pretty common. So veggies are harder than fruits. Um, They, the nutrients, I don't think anyone wants us to know this. It's like a little secret, but like veggies and fruits have the same nutrients in them. So like if you're eating a red fruit and a red veggie, like a red pepper and a strawberry, like both of them are high in vitamin C, So I think like we get overly anxious about our kids like not loving vegetables, but in fact, they're, if they're eating a variety of fruit colors, like all you know green and blue and red and all those kinds of colors, they're likely meeting their nutrient needs in terms of the micronutrients. So the other thing is like we want them to love veggies because it's good for them, it's healthy for them. Um, so I think the more that we can make food fun, the better. So mm-hmm. no pressure to eat or taste. Um, I like the idea of dips and sauces, like you mentioned, and also like sometimes using sauces, even if it seems inappropriate, like catch up with their veggies, like dips and sauces are like the training wheels of vegetables. So whether it's ranch, whether it's like a Mayo dip, um, today I'm going to be posting on my social feed, um, using like a cracker with hummus and decorating the hummus face with veggies. So, you know, just making food fun and. Um, You can also use veggies as like a paintbrush, like you could use. So having fun with food and playing with food in a non-threatening way, Um, reading books about vegetables, growing vegetables, eating them yourself in front of your kids. Mm -hmm. And and you can also talk whenever I'm talking, whenever there's a new food, I talk about that food in terms of like, what does it taste like? What does it smell like? What is it comparable to? So they get a bit of an idea about it. And then I don't ever say they have to try it. Sometimes they'll be curious about it and I'll say, do you want to smell it? And they'll say, yeah, I want to smell it. So then they'll smell it. So kind of the stages of progression we usually see are allowing it on the table. Then it might go on the plate and they might like put it off to the side on what we call a no thank you plate. Then they may smell it. Then they may touch it. Then they may lick it. Then they may put it in their mouth and spit it out. Then they may eat it. And this is like 15 to 25 exposures. So you just keep serving, serving, serving and, you know, try to make it fun and light, no pressure. And eventually most kids tend to start eating some vegetables.
0: Okay. Yeah. That makes sense when you think about playing with them and like making it like a fun experience rather than just have a bite or, you know, just eat one and then you're, then you can leave the table. Um, so with that, um, you mentioned like eating all everything on your plate and then you get a cookie. Mm -hmm. Um, so how can we, Cause I think a lot of us do this, uh, cause that's what we were taught growing up. <laughs> At least yeah. I was, and you had to sit there until you were finished and then you got dessert or that's when you could leave the table. So how can we start like moving away from that? What if our kid isn't eating anything,
1: mm-hmm.
0: you know, like, do we worry about it? Do we just let them not eat anything?
1: So children won't actually starve themselves. Um, so your child, if they're not eating anything, so some parents will say, to me, well, I literally put down dinner and they eat nothing. Yeah. And then, so a couple of things I would look for. Number one, are they snacking beforehand? Number two, are they drinking too much milk? A lot of times kids will like be filling up on their milk. Um, the other thing is, is like, if the child is growing consistently and you're offering safe foods with all the meals, um, and they're growing, they might just be eating more earlier in the day. Right. So I'm not overly concerned with, like if your child is eating, I mean, if they, have, if there's like some significant, like some kids are stuck on like one texture. So if your child is like six and they're only eating smoothie pouches and that's it, like consistency wise, we might want to get like an investigation just to see if there's something going on. Um, but most kids won't starve themselves. So they'll test you. They will like, they will, tr- if you're like, you change the rules and you're like, no, I'm not going to make you finish your plate. I'm not going to make you have any of it. If you don't want to, they may test you, but the key is, is to hold steady on the timing. Okay. So like 30 minutes later, they might say, well, I'm hungry. And you can say, oh, I yeah, I can see. So the natural consequence of not eating or even conversely overeating. So like when we let our kids like eat to excess, that like negative feeling is actually the most powerful reinforcing tool to either not overeat or to make sure they do eat. So last night, my son had like only like a little bit of his dinner. And then an hour later, he's like, I'm hungry. Mm-hmm. And I said, you know. Oh, that's because you didn't really have much dinner. Okay. Well, it's not dinner time. It's not dinner time anymore. And snack is in another hour. So we just distracted him. Right. So we played games and we had a bath and we did this and that. And then eventually it was snack time. And then he had a huge portion of his snack. And so again, allowing them to eat as much as they want at those meal times. And so that taught him that, Hey, mom's not going to give me goldfish if I don't eat my dinner. So we're training them that like, Yes, there is. We do want you to listen to your body cues, but it's not like a free for all that the kitchens open all the time. And this is like life lessons because as adults, we can't like just be grazing. Like, I mean, maybe now we're at home all the time, but most of the time we're like out and about doing our thing. Mm -hmm. So there's periods of time where we're not eating.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So what do you feel about parents who leave their Like if they don't eat, they leave the plate out for them. And so then say an hour later, they're like, I'm hungry. And you say, okay, well you're like the rest of your supper's right here. You can go ahead and have it. Is that a negative thing? Like, what do you think about that?
1: So I think it depends on like what the intention is. So if it's a punitive intent, like intention, or is it like a financial, like some families literally can't afford to be serving different food six times a day. Right. So the dinner is served, they eat two tablespoons, they say they're done and then they're bugging you an hour later. So I would put the plate away. I would say mealtime is done after, say, 20 or 30 minutes. Plates in the fridge, wrap it up. Um, But if you don't have the financial means to put different foods on the table, then by all means, serve the same thing again. However, it as like a punitive, like, well, you can eat your dinner because you didn't eat it earlier, then that intention is, like, again, putting this negative spin on, like, the meal environment. Mm -hmm. Um, So in that case, I would say, like, if you're financially able to put something different, maybe they really hate that stir fry. And so serving it again is not going to make them eat it. It's just going to make them be angry and upset and then have a negative connotation with the meal environment. So again, you don't serve something delicious at bedtime. You serve like, you might serve them like a piece of toast with peanut butter, which is okay. It's pretty good, but it's not like unbelievable. It's not like you're serving them like, you know, a fruit, you know, parfait or whatever, making it super elaborate. Um, But then there are families that can't do different they just financially, it's just not feasible. So I yeah. think it really depends on the intention behind it.
0: Okay. Yeah. No, that makes sense. I like it. it well, it's good to get perspective on that because you see, you see other families doing that and you're like, should I be doing that? And yeah. then you, you just don't know. So that's great. Cause I never thought of it that way. Like if they don't like the stir fry and you try to make them eat it again, like that's going to be a negative experience for them.
1: Exactly. They're not going to be like, Oh wow. I love this now. Now they're just going to they might have a tablespoon or two but now they have like a negative view of like the mealtime is like a punitive experience it's like a negative vibe and so and then that child might be the one that's hiding snacks under his bed right and then eating yeah. those snacks right so yeah. which doesn't create like healthy habits for like the long term
0: yes so another thing that goes along with that is dessert mm-hmm. Serving dessert after the meal, saying like "Have two more bites and you get your dessert." Right. Do you serve it with the meal? Do you serve it after? How should we go about that?
1: I get that. So in general, I say serve it with the meal. um okay. So this is very counterculture because most of us are like, "Well, if I serve a piece of cake with dinner, all he's eating is the cake." So this is this is definitely a family decision. If you are wanting to serve it after the meal, it's just make sure that it's not contingent on how much they eat. Right. So, like a lot of times I'll serve a small um, portion of like a sweet food with dinner. I'll serve like a half of a cookie, like if they're a Mm -hmm. big half of one, or I might serve like a few gummies or, and that will be with the dinner. But sometimes if it's like a cinnamon bun, like, of course, a child will just eat the cinnamon bun if you served it with it. So in that case, you might either want to put like very small portion of it, or you serve it just after the dinner, but you don't make it contingent on like, if you don't eat enough dinner, it's just like Dessert just is like, we just are having dessert on Monday. It's not like based on anything. And so as a parent, you get to decide how often dessert is served. If your child is very dessert obsessed or sugar obsessed, I would suggest you serve it more often. Most parents are like, Oh my God, serve it more like, but they're obsessed with sugar. But the obsession comes from the restriction. So the more we restrict, the more they want it. It's just
0: like us. Totally. The more so, I tell you, you can't have wine, the more you're going to want wine.
1: <laughs> exactly, exactly. And I do want wine because it's dry January. I can't, I can't wait to have uh, my wine. Um, but it's very true. Like, so I think it's very much that mentality that like, well, I'm going to eat as much as I can like that, like overeating indulgence, because it's like, well, I don't know when this is going to be served again. So I suggest serving it more often making it nonchalant. Oh, yeah, we're going to have candy on Tuesday. And they're going to be like, what? Like blow my mind here. Um, So the more we make it a big deal, the worse it is.
0: Yeah. So I actually, it's interesting that you say that because I was listening um, to another dietitian friend and when she grew up, her family always had candy out like in bowls. It was just like free for all, but it made her not want it all the time. And so when she had a friend come over, her friend said like, you just get candy all the time. Like it's just laid out here for you. She's like, yeah, yeah. Well, she didn't know any different, and like, the it was the friend's mind was blown. <laughs> she couldn't totally. believe it, but that made her not want it because it just like it was available all the
1: time. Mm-hmm. And, and so, so yeah, definitely. And so sometimes what I do with my families is that I tell them to do like an all you can eat sweets on the weekend. So one day, so whether Saturday or Sunday, and usually I choose the afternoon snack because it's like not right before bed. So at like three p.m. You put out a plate of cookies and you say, like, have as many as you want. Start with a glass of milk, maybe some fruit, but don't say they have to have any of it. Um, so making it, again, this unlimited quantity, you'll notice that the first time, yeah, they'll overeat. And sometimes I've had families that kid barfs, but guess what? The next time they're not going to eat so much, right? Yeah. So And they learn from that experience, like, hey, if I eat 10 cookies, I'm going to barf. And so the more we make it... Um, like not a big deal. The better it is. That being said, some families will say to me, "Well, I don't really want to have candy in my house all the time. Like it doesn't feel good from like my morals and ethics." And that's okay. So families get to choose what kinds of foods you want in your house. Some, like for example, like my mom loves to serve like these. Like I think they're like what are they like? Wieners? They're they're like they're in the fridge. They're like some kind of sausage. Okay. Snack of some yeah. sort. I don't I don't personally serve sausage snacks in my house. So my kids when we go to the store will say like i want sausage snacks and i'll say well you know what that's not something that we have in our house so as parents we get to decide there's certain foods you might not feel comfortable having in your house and that's okay but i think saying no sweets or no like in this case it's a salty food no salty foods ever like that's when you increase the like drive to want it so you know i might not serve my kids sausage snacks but yes i have chips in the house so they can have like they're feeling like something salty they can have another option. So the family that doesn't want to have candy, maybe you make your own cookies and maybe that's something that you allow them to have more often if that's what feels good for you.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's such a good idea. I never, like you never think of it that way, but then when you, when you say it, you're like, Oh my gosh, that makes so much sense.
1: (laughs) I know. I think it's just these things. It's kind of, it's counterintuitive to the way we've been taught. So I think it's a lot of unlearning and it's like, sure. And like the other thing I often ask my families is like, what's the worst that's going to happen if they eat 10 cookies, like what's going to happen to them? And then a lot of times it cycles back to my worry is, is they're going to become more obsessed with sugar. They're going to eat unhealthy and then they're going to become overweight and then they're going to be teased and taunted and all this sort of thing. So the intention from parents is not like I'm trying to be a meanie. It's like, I'm trying to protect my kids so that they have a good life.
0: Yeah.
1: Um. But I think as parents, like there's other ways that we can support our children to become resilient to like the diet culture messages that are in our society um, and also to feel good in the skin that they're in, to feel good in their body. Um, So I think restricting is not doesn't actually help them. It's actually the opposite. Um, But, you know, and we were kind of chatting about this. but I do have this course that we're um, that we're launching again. We had amazing feedback for um, it's called body positive kids. And it's a course for parents to help um, foster that resilience in kids, to media marketing messages, to, like, what do they say when some kid at school calls them fat, or what do they say, um, you know, how do they respond to comments about their body or or feelings about their body or the way that they eat, Um, so it's a course for parents, um, but really it's looking at, like, how to feed your kids, how to feel good about feeding your kids, what to do, answering all these types of questions. And then also layering on the aspect of like joyful movement. Because I think a lot of us are worried about our kids. We're homeschooling. They're on the iPad all the time. Mm -hmm. They don't want to move. And so then it's like, we have kids, like families put their kids on, like you have to go for a run, like forcing their little ones to like, and their kids hate running and stuff like that. So it's like, how do we make movement fun and not a punishment? So this is all like the kinds of stuff that we talk about in the course.
0: That's such a great course.
1: (laughs) I know it's really amazing. We have 17 people on the wait list right now. So we're going to open the doors. Um, uh, I think next weekend or this Mm -hmm. weekend. So we're already on, it's already Monday today or Tuesday. Tuesday, Um, We're going to open the doors, um, this weekend. Um, and then, yeah, we're going to, we usually do a small group. Um, but it's going to be a great opportunity to meet with Jill and I, who are going to be coaching the session. So there's 75 minute sessions, 5 weeks in a row and then we give you a break for spring break and then let you try some of the strategies, come back again and then troubleshoot what's been going well, what's not been going well, what are you stumbling on. Um but I think it's a it's a gift that we can give our kids to have a generation that doesn't ever diet. Like this yeah. is my hope for the future is to really have a generation that doesn't feel the need to to diet.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I, from what I've researched, it's like women spend 17 years, at least of their life dieting, which is crazy to me.
1: (laughs) I know. And it starts so young. Mm -hmm. Like, it's like, like it starts in elementary school, like children wanting to change their body's shape or size or feeling. And I even think of my own self, like growing Mm -hmm. up, like, when did I first feel like I was too big? When did it go from look, mom, I'm growing to like, Oh, I'm growing. Like you know, yeah. and it's usually around like grade five, to be honest, like that's kind of yeah, the like age. nine, 10. Yeah. Yeah. That age. So, you know, it's like a light switch that like that, you know, bodies are worthy based on size. And so, you know, how is we, so we can't like change the culture, but we can help our children become more resilient to the messages that they hear and like, look at a, you know, an ad and say like, Hmm, I wonder what's been done to her to make her look like that and not internalize that message and say like, Oh, why, why is my skin not like that? Right. So, yeah. yeah, that sort of thing. So, yeah, so we're really excited. We've had amazing feedback from the last course participants. And, um, and yeah, we're going to be, um, going strong as of so coming in February, we're going to do 10 days of body positive parenting on my Instagram. So, every day there's going to be a new tip leading up to like a launch of body positive kids.
0: Two it starts on February 11th, right?
1: That's right. Yeah. Okay. So, Thursday the 11th in the evening.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And I feel like this is something. Even if you didn't have, you know, even if you had like a baby or if you had like a two year old, this is something you as a parent could like implement for yourself too. Right.
1: Definitely. Yeah. Starting young. Like that's the other thing is like, it's easier to like, to not do certain things than to undo. Right. Like if you've been doing certain things and they've been like negatively impacting kids, it's easier to just not do them in the first place. So like, but we don't know what we don't know. So that's the thing is like, what am I maybe doing saying, what is my home environment? Like that is, you know, maybe, maybe not as protective for our kids. Um, And so learning some of those strategies. And then if you do have a young child, it's like, how can I implement? So we talk a lot about the division of responsibility and feeding and like how to support our kids to also like It's So it's, it's mostly a lot of it is also like a feeding course too. So it's like, picking my brain on all these types of questions troubleshooting meals um and like like what do we actually serve so like yeah you know, what is on the plate so you know and we do um we're gonna be doing a giveaway so the people that the first kind of week of people that sign up are actually gonna um, get a free 30 minute um, session with either Jillian or I um so to kind of troubleshoot some of their individual questions
0: okay wow that's awesome yeah,
1: yeah. I know. We decided that today we're like, what do we want to give away? And we're like, well, why don't we give away some time with us? So they can have like a 30 minute session if they sign up in the first week.
0: Oh, that's amazing. Cause yeah, then you can really
1: get like individualized,
0: you know, and really start to implement things. Um, So you did mention though, it makes it harder to unlearn things. And so I want to know, say like a 10 year old or 12 year old who still only eats chicken fingers and fries. Mm -hmm. Is there a way that you can get them to, to start eating better, to start eating more vegetables.
1: <laughs> Definitely. So, yeah, I mean, I always say that it's, it's never too late. I think we, in that, and the older kids, we really need to involve them in the process. Um, mm-hmm. and we're not going to like just rip the rug and be like, you're never getting chicken fingers again. But we'll, we'll, I always like to look at like, what are we adding? What can we add? How can we get them involved rather than taking things away, like adding things into their diet. Um, and then also the more that we get them involved in the decision-making process in the grocery shopping, I mean, right now it's online, a lot of us, right? So like having a look at things and like talking about like, why would something be a fun food versus a growing food? Mm -hmm. right? So talking about those strategies for some of our older kids and then getting them to help decide. Like I have one family and the little girl now goes through the snack section and chooses some of the snacks that she wants in her lunchbox. So, you know, giving you that information so that you can teach them again, not with a good, bad mentality, but the, the more, the aspect of like certain foods are going to give us more nutrients in order to grow and thrive. Um, and so, you know, and then getting your kids to like, we're looking for progress, not perfection. Like if your kid is eating chicken strips of fries every day, like we would be looking at like moving towards like chicken, but slowly we call it bridging. So mm-hmm. slowly moving in that direction. Um, but not like eliminating by any means.
0: Yeah. Okay. That's, well, that's great. Cause I do know some kids who are around that age and yeah, all they want to do is eat chicken fingers and fries still I'm like, how yeah. can we get some vegetables in you? <laughs> you <count. laughs> yeah. And it, so we do have this question. I actually have this question too about, um, the family sitting at the table. Mm-hmm. So there's kind of like two parts to this is sitting at the table super important, like as a family versus sitting, you know, in front of the TV and then should the child wait until the whole family is done eating before they can leave? Okay.
1: So great question. The family meal at the table is what's found to be the most protective. Like when we look at studies, it's it's actually more protective to have children eat with their parents than like, it's more important than like socioeconomic status and religion and like all of these other things. So family meals together. And that means doesn't have to be everybody, but with at least one parent eating the same food um, is what's found to be most protective. So we know that those kids are going to do better at school. They're gonna have less issues with drugs and alcohol. They're gonna have less issues with like teen pregnancy, things like that. Um, So table has to be the table. If you're a family that always eats in front of the TV, then I would suggest maybe starting small and doing one meal a day without the TV. Or if your child is eating with the iPad at the table, Then we look at like weaning down the iPad. So either it could be Mm -hmm. cold turkey. So like just saying on breakfast, we're not doing the iPad and then let the tantrums happen. Or it could be we're only doing five minutes of iPad and then the rest is not iPad. Um, So working with that. So table, yes. Um, And then I don't say that children have to sit until everyone's finished. Um, Generally, we start with one year. Sorry, one minute per year of age. So if your kid is three, three minutes at the table and then let them go but again, like if they come back, so again, like if they're running back and forth, like when they leave the table, their meal is done. So we need to like set that boundary. Okay. Um, so they learn that, right. Yeah. But, but if, and if they're coming back after an hour and saying they're hungry, they have to wait. Right. So again, we're setting the foundation there. I mean, I have had kids, like they jump up for like a minute and they come back. And like in the beginning, yes, like transitioning, letting them learn that like if we're all still eating and they left after three minutes and now they're coming back and sitting down and eating again, like making some judgment calls around that. So, you know, maybe you let it slide for the first couple of times. And then you say, you know what, from now on, if your butt leaves the seat, you're done. Like, and so, you know, so giving them some leeway there, but definitely not forcing them to stay until everyone's done because that's again, making a painful process Mm -hmm. for your three-year-old who has a very short attention span.
0: Yes. I work
1: on one minute per year of age, then two minutes. So then that child would be at six minutes. And sometimes I get like a sand timer. I just turn the sand timer on. Like you need oh, to that's sit good. and it's done. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's and then- a good strategy. Mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> Cause yeah, my daughter, she, she'll sit there and like, she's so wiggly all the time. She just doesn't, unless she's really hungry, then she'll sit down and just like yeah, focused. So I definitely need to implement that more, but she is one, like, I'm like, get back on your chair. You need to eat but she'll run around and then she'll come back. So I definitely need to be more strict with that, but I don't ever say like, if she's done, then she can leave. I would never make her sit there, but I know some families um, do do that. Mm -hmm. And I think it would be really hard to make a four-year-old sit there and be still, especially at the
1: end of the day. Totally. And then also it's painful for the parents. So I think the other thing is like division of responsibility, like, our job as a parent is, is actually really hard. and like, Mm -hmm. it is a struggle every single day to like be responsible and do all the things. So I think why are we making it torturous for ourselves to have a child who's like sitting at the table, making like a mockery and like being annoying and whining and crying. So like, you're done if you're, you can't ruin the table experience for the rest of us. Um, so I think we, as parents like have this obligation, we feel like we need to get in the food. We're like, so like, you know, we have this like, value system that if we don't get the food in then like you know we're bad parents um but really like our job is done when the meal hits the table so like really i want you to like take the responsibility off yourself like you did the what where and when your meal is on the table it's their job now so don't take any responsibility for how much they eat or even if they eat anything at all
0: yeah that's such a great message for parents i think that they needed that reassurance like you are doing good. (laughs) And, and it's their responsibility to, to eat. Cause I do know a lot of parents, they'll be like, I just gotta get a few bites in, you know, for them, feed them just because then they know that they're actually getting something to eat rather than them feeding themselves. Mm -hmm. So, but that's, I don't know, that's probably not teaching the kid any sort of independence with their food either. Mm -hmm.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's such a great message. Um, so where can people find you? Um, Instagram, Facebook, that kind of thing. What kind of resources are out there for,
1: for parents? Yeah. So on my, so basically, so the first place you probably want to check is Instagram. So I'm at Jen, the dietitian and I'm sure we'll link that in the show notes. Um, and so I do a lot of, I talk a lot there. Um, I'm on stories a lot. Um, showing you like my food, my life, like what it actually looks like in practice. Um, And then I have a lot of IG videos as well to kind of catch up on Um, my social, or you can find me on Facebook. I'm the Northland dietitian. And then my website also has a free three-day download. If you want to get started on some family, family family-friendly recipes, Um, there's a section on there you can put your email in and get a free download right away. And that's jenmessina.com. Um, and then i work one-to-one so i work with people across the province and if you have extended health benefits most of them cover dietitian services so most people have around 500 dollars a year we just don't know it because the insurance people don't tell us but um, <laughs> it's and it will be 500 for you and 500 for each child most of the okay,
0: time okay okay yeah. yeah that is something i've actually had those questions and i'm like i have no idea, yeah. have
1: no idea. So benefits but we do direct billing too so a lot of families will Um, they'll see me virtually, they'll put in their insurance details and then the clinic will just direct bill them. And then they'll just pay like, if it's at 80, 20, if the, if the insurance pays 80 and I, and then they pay 20, they just invoice them for like, you know, 20 bucks. It's pretty handy. Yeah.
0: And did you, did you say you can work with people out of province? Did you mention that or?
1: Oh, I can only work with So I'm registered with the BC college of dietitians. Um, so it has to be in British Columbia.
0: Okay. Okay. Perfect. Yeah. Cause there are some people who are out of out of BC in here. So that's great to know. Um, and then your course, I just want to mention it one more time. So when is the last time that somebody can apply
1: for your course? So we're going to close it the day of. So it's going to close. Okay. It's going to be open from February 1st to February 11th. Okay. Um, and so you can register there. if, Like I said, if you register before February the 5th, then you're going to get a free 30 minute like consult one-to-one, which is a $90 value. Um, Mm -hmm. And so that's going to be for the first kind of people that join. And then it's going to be open until the 11th. And we start at on the 11th at 7
0: p.m. Oh, awesome. So the everything's in the evening. So this is something that parents can do once their kids go down.
1: Totally. Yeah. And I have a lot of families that the other thing is we're recording all the sessions. So if you miss a session, if there's like meltdown central and you can't make it, we're going to keep it open for a week so you'll have a week to watch it and some people like to go back and watch it with their husbands or their partners. Yeah. Uh, they can kind of be on board with some of the strategies we're talking about.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. I I think that everyone <laughs> should yeah. take this course. Thank it you sounds so amazing. Thank yeah. You. Um, so if anybody has any questions, I'm sure they could just direct message you and see. Direct if- message me. I'm
1: totally open to answering any questions that anyone has.
0: Yes. Yes. Perfect. Well, thank you so much for talking to me today. I really awesome. appreciate it. I learned so many good things that I'm going to try to implement. Awesome. T- <laughs> tricks, right? It's all about yes. the hacks. We need them. Yes. I'll let you know how they go. <laughs> perfect. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Yeah, bye. bye.